Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Nick Hare and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights, and this week we're discussing abolishing private schools. Chris, yeah, kick us off with this. Um, what's all this about abolishing private schools? Uh, well, I was... Um Paying attention to the uh, recent um, Labour Party uh, conference uh, and one of the big ticket item announcements to, to come out of this was uh, their plans to um, effectively, uh, well, so the media reporting suggested to abolish private schools and sort of redistribute their assets in some kind of uh, uh, reformation style uh, policy move. Um, it actually turned out when you looked at the, the, the details that it was really about reducing tax loopholes. But um, but the media reporting and they certainly didn't do much to, to the Labour Party itself didn't do much to, to quench this story was about the abolition of private schools. Uh, and it it was, you know, it got media headlines and it's it sort of grabbed my attention. And as, as, as the only sort of uh, person here, I think, who is uh, not privately educated uh, and with with kids in in state schools i've got no sort of vested interest in this issue but i thought to myself what are they going on about right you know i was like what you know surely there are lots of other more pertinent issues going on at the moment that this you know is is like a niche sort of political interest and Mm. for them to kind of lead on this and push this struck me as being odd uh, but then I thought about it a bit more and I got into this idea of, well, you know, it's at the party conference, right? And what are you trying to do at the party conference? You're trying to connect with your members. You're trying to, in you know, in the political terms, you're trying to energise the base. Mm. Uh, and so I, I got thinking about kind of niche um, kind of political causes and particularly ones that are sort of oppositional, you know, antagonistic towards something and why they seem to crop up again and again and and what what they why you know what what they what their utility is um do you mean that uh, the same niche cause pops up no, again and again no i mean or... why why niche causes uh things like um you know fox hunting whether for for or against uh you know like stuff like um the Marine A who was convicted of, of breaking the Geneva Convention or uh, Gurkha pensions, Badger culls, these things that most of us sort of go, well, you know, doesn't doesn't affect me in any way in, in particular, but they sort of crop up and they become, they gather a lot of momentum seemingly and, and, and yet they only affect, you know, a small, or, or they only interest uh, and affect a small number of, of people. So, yeah. And I guess um, also I'm trying to think of the examples that you gave where um, you can say that um, a cause could have led to what everyone agrees is a successful change of policy. Um, And certainly fox hunting is one that straight away springs to mind. I've got a big list. Yeah. Which I was going to. Well, um, and before we go on to that, so we'll come on to that. But before we do, like every every year, not necessarily at the conference, but all the time, for a lot, ever since I can remember, Labour's always going to be abolishing uh, private schools. 
And then every time they get into power, it never happens. No. Um, but but anyway. Um, okay, great. So, well, let's hear some of the, some results. Let's hear some stats from Captain Stats over there, Nick. Well, I was going to, to be honest, I'd, I'd rather talk a bit more about the problem first and then go into some let's, of the data. Let's yeah. talk more about yeah, the problem. Yeah, no, I think, I, think the, I think this is really interesting. Well, because, let's know. So define well, the problem because we've, you know, we've had, we've heard well, more Well, I'm, I'm not, I mean, let's, I guess in a democracy, it's not a problem. Right, so people vote for a party, and they are allowed to do what they want if they get elected, and that's that. Um, but there is a clash between between in you know if you have a, a spe- I mean particularly sort of in first past the post, but in general in in voting systems, um, people will uh, you know look for uh, a a cause that is slightly supported by more people, no matter how vehemently it's opposed by other people. Because you, you're, you, everyone only gets one vote. It doesn't matter how much it bothers them, um, you know. And I would guess so. If you take something like fo- fox hunting, I think. I mean, there were a lot of passionate views on both sides, um, but it's and plausible. a lot of apathy, and a lot of apathy. But it's plausible that actually the point is probably most people living in cities probably very mildly were a bit anti fox hunting. And and um, it, so, you know, it's it's probably the case that there are more people out there who are a bit anti-fox hunting than there are people who are pro-fox hunting. But those people who are pro-foxing, very, very pro-fox hunting. Big thing for them. But there is no way of taking that into account. And it's entirely rational for political parties to chase these kinds of issues because, you, you know, you, you're going to be getting more votes. Now, you know, whereas from an economic efficiency point of view... And assuming for a minute, let's try and take out sort of just what's right for a minute. Let's see this as really we're talking about trade-offs. So it might be the case that you think, well, it's just morally wrong, fox hunting. And that's that. We're going to abolish it for that reason, regardless of who cares about it, whatever. But it, it normally, in you know, when you're thinking about evaluating policy, you, you it, there's always going to be a trade-off. Some people are going to be worse off. Some people are going to be better off. And the, the, you know, the basically what you need to what you are trying to do at the very minimum is kind of add up how much people be willing to pay to do one thing versus another thing. So, you know, in the case of fox hunting, how much would all these people in uh, in, in, you know, don't care about it very much? Maybe we'd be able to maybe be willing to pay a pound a year for fox hunting to be illegal. Whereas, you know, people who really care about it, well, they might be willing to pay 500 pounds a year to keep it going. And it might be that actually you know that there is a so there's a um so so there's a criterion for cost benefit analysis which is the, the Caldor Hicks efficiency and the idea being that well you what you could do is let's say those people did want to pay to keep fox hunting legal and so they all subscribed to keeping it legal and and we paid a pound to all, all those people who who are slightly annoyed by fox hunting they get compensated right and in fact everyone's better off everyone effectively makes a profit um, by keeping it by keeping it legal, uh, that's 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 Except the, the sort foxes, of, they're not better off. But anyway, yeah. If now if they could pay, could be a different story. Who knows? Yeah, but, but what about the bloodhounds? There's more of them than there are right. foxes, and, and they're richer. We all know because yeah. they're 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 being given chum, whereas the foxes have to scrabble for a living in, our in the bins. fields. Yeah, yeah exactly. Old McDonald's and yeah. So so anyway, that's the so under a kind of that efficiency approach, what you would be doing is trying to trying to sort of say, well, how much would everyone be willing to pay to have it one way or another? And effectively, you want to award it to the side who's willing to pay the most. Now. In practice, that, that, you, that compensation effect doesn't actually occur. So this is a very minimal test. Um, you know, it's just saying, is, is are people on average, in total, better off? 
and um and and voting doesn't doesn't let you do that because everyone everyone just gets one vote doesn't matter how much they care about it but so. but but i think what's interesting is that given given that's the case you still get uh political parties adopting causes which are minority causes right and which which maybe don't even drag anyone else you know along along with them so it's not like they get all the sort of people who are prepared to pay a pound as well they they sort of latch onto this and you might say well that's just about the culture of the party and their values and what they want to promote but i also think there's an element which is that if you if you capture uh passion and you, you particularly if you capture sort of um neg- like hatred or anger um you you sort of create a, a, an, an energy that um enables you somehow to you know if, if you're if your party members are the ones who go out and distribute leaflets for you and so on uh, and, you know, do a lot of the campaigning for you, if they're particularly motivated, that then gets them doing more of that. And, you know, that potentially has an influential effect on the, the election overall because they really believe in this thing. So if you can get like a small bunch of disciples, you know, and, and you know, one of my interests is how do niche causes tip over into being you know majority majority views things like uh, uh you know um environmentalism and veganism which were once very little niche things are are growing you know christianity and islam you know at some point were a small bunch of people you could say that, policy on on homosexuality for example exactly yeah and you know the 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 shift in, in in opinion how do you get these these small group of highly motivated people to turn a population into a much larger population of of slightly motivated yeah um, i mean i think so this is the this is the the big question well and also is does it come from a small group of people or is it kind of latent is it created by you know by larger interests so in other words you you know does the labor party i don't think there's a pressure group out there seeking to abolish private schools for example i i doubt there's a pressure group you know, yeah. mums against private school. I don't think such a thing exists. Mm. Um, so this is something which is not coming up from below. But if we do, uh, just looking at those pressure groups, I was trying to, I made a list. I tried to, t- t- took a big list off Wikipedia of all the British pressure groups. And I uh, sort of over time, it's not a very good sample. It's just what happened to be on this page. And I and there are some which are definitely successes. So League Against Cruel Sports. Welsh Language Society, founded, I think, in the 60s. And now, of course, Wales is practically bilingual. Mm. Uh, you know, certainly street signs and, you know, official material and, and Welsh lessons in schools and all of that. Uh, the granddaddy, I guess, of all of British pressure groups, the good old-fashioned chartists, who, um, you know, were li- li- largely seen as a failure at the time in that they, you know, there was the sort of the old protest, uh, which quite sizable, but nothing, never any, no, any sort of giant... Uh, reforms at the time but actually almost every single one of their i think uh, i think they had six demands or something and five have been implemented mm-hmm. you know universal suffrage and um what were the other chances demands oh secret ballots various other things you know electoral reforms and i think um the only one that hasn't been uh enacted is annual parliaments thank god because we'd have an election every year well, surfers we, against we, we sewage have that, we have that anyway in effect don't we so yeah we have at the moment we're practically italy at the moment with our <laughs> so surfers against sewage you know, campaign for cleaner beaches from the 80s onwards. The whole pro-choice movement, Mary Stokes, all of that uh-huh. kind of thing. Um, camera, campaign for real ale. You know, m- massive uh, improvement in the availability of beer, whether they're responsible. You mentioned it earlier, Stonewall. 
There's the no to ID campaign, uh, which stopped ID cards. Wow. ID cards. Yeah. The, of course, the Leave campaign, uh, yeah. leaving the EU. Um, Action on Smoking and Health, who successfully uh, campaigned for the smoking ban. And, of course, the, the suffragists and their uh, and their ilk. Then we got the failures. That's what I was about to ask, yeah. Pla- plain Stupid, who are campaigning. They, they don't want air- airport expansions. Well, they, there's going to be one, isn't there? So um, Lesbians Against Pit Closures. Okay. <laughs> They didn't. They didn't succeed in stopping the pits closing. And of course, the CND. You know, they've been yeah. going for several decades yeah, and yeah. have not yet successfully got us to abandon yeah, to unilaterally disarm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that makes make votes matter and all of that ilk, all of the kind of electoral reform, and including Charter eighty eight. Charter eighty eight, uh, very well known, of course. Lots of actors and things signed up to it, but um, almost nothing that they. What is demanded. Charter eighty eight? Oh, that's that. That I think it was. Um, it was kind of. Uh, it's basically a kind of constitutional reform uh, group of people, and it, they want things like a new bill of rights, proportional okay. representation, okay. directly elected House of Lords, and a written constitution. Well, they've that, none of that's happened. Hey, there's a, a group called Republic who want to abolish the Queen. Uh, the Stop the War Coalition, massive at the time, failed mm. to stop the war. Uh, Still goes strong though, yeah, um, right? As a, as a, you know, as a group, a very a, militant left-wing organisation. And and then you have the Remain campaign and Forest. And there's a few whether the ju- jury is out and into that category. I put the kind of animal cruelty, environmental. I think there's a battle still being fought. So environmental policy, uh, Fathers for Justice. I think it looks like they're making some head inroads, but you know, it's probably not achieved what they want. Amnesty International. And sort of Oxfam and pe- charities like that, where they maybe they are doing something, but they're not. They haven't exactly, you know, abolished made the world. world famine. Or, but yeah. so here's my analysis of all this. Yeah. Um, if a cause is big enough to merit a mention on um, Wikipedia, right, it's going to have about a fifty percent chance of succeeding on average. If you know nothing about the cause, it's about fifty-fifty. So so basically, there must be a zillion pressure groups you never hear about. Mm. You know, the Tooting Popular Front style groups who mm. don't appear at all. Once it gets big, even then, once it's big, I mean, these are all groups we've heard of. There's still only 50-50 chance of success. And I think if you want to push it in your favour, you've got to make the cause, you've got to make the aim a thing that can happen. Because otherwise you get all these groups like, um, you know, the Occupy movement, where... What is Band we, no capitalism. Yeah, yeah, no one knows whether it's what it looks like if they succeed. No one, you know, there's no kind of aims. Uh, it's got to be realistic, right, this aim. So, I, so I, and I think, and mainly, right, I think it's about things that are effectively about social policy, about who's allowed to do what, when, to who. And, and I think campaigns that are about economic or constitutional foreign policy have got a very low chance of succeeding. Mm. So that's, that's my recommendation. Pick a social policy, um, Get big, okay. Make it make it realistic. I mean, in- interestingly, but should we so, tell so, that one now? So, so one of the one of the things that I kind of picked up on from what you were saying there, nudity. Is... That would be see if we did, wanted to start a campaign, we'd say it would be le- it's make it legal to be nude in public. That's yeah. the kind of thing I think could succeed. Has a chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is, isn't it? I think it, I it's suspect not, there's no, going to be a not, law preventing you from exposure, being, but there's yeah. definitely you can definitely be naked in public. But I don't well, think you can no, be you naked Chris. anywhere and everywhere. You're going to have to put your pants back on. Oh, I'm afraid again. <laughs> the, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Because there was that ex Royal Marine who hiked up to Scotland. So the naked rambler yeah. guy. Naked rambler, yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he kept getting arrested. Yeah. So. 
Especially in go. Scotland. They didn't like him up there. No. Um, it was cold up there, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, uh, no, what I was sort of picking up on is the fact that, you know, for n- niche causes to um, to succeed or to increase their probability of succeeding, they need to be sort of definable and narrow. Uh, and that that sort of goes against some of the research I was looking at, and I think there's a reason for this, which um, which has been done on niche political parties, so like one-cause political parties. There's a study by um, Meyer and Wagner, um, which looked at sort of 22 countries, elections across uh, 22 countries. I think it was a, nearly 200 elections from 1945 to, to 2005, 1,500 different, different parties. And it was looking at... Um, niche political parties and what happens to them yeah. over time. And effectively, as as we would intuitively think, they they broaden their appeal, right? So they start off being the Green Party or the National Party or the you know Party for Agrarian Workers or whatever it might be. And in order to become electorally more successful, they uh, they stop going on about just one thing and they have to work out what they stand for on healthcare and defense and you know the economy and all the, all those kinds mm. of things and they might still keep that flavor but that they 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 broaden their appeal effectively and that obviously makes sense within the electoral system um because one of the things they 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 found in this study was that it's relatively easy for a large general party to uh, effectively scoop up whatever their cause is and plonk it within their own party and say well you get you get that cause plus all of our other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that, I think, getting round to the reason why I think pressure groups need to be focused, but political parties veer away from focus, mm. is because of the differences between the lobbying process and the electoral process. You know, that if you've only got if you've only got one thing that you that you go on about, you're pretty much limiting your 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 party appeal. Uh, but in a pressure group, that's actually a strength because you've got a focus then, and you mm. you can go on about that. Mm. Yeah, I, I think this is probably whether you've got first past the post or PR is going to make a big difference here, because it, you can be a single issue party and still do something quite significant in under proportional representation. Mm. You know, uh, a la I guess the the Nazis or um, you know the DUP or uh, the um, uh, or the Lib Dems. You mm. know. Who don't now? Those three groups don't often get put in the same sentence. So I apologise to any Lib Dems listening, um, and the Nazis. I should have apologised to the Nazis. It would have been funnier. <laughs> but uh, uh, but, uh, but anyway, so uh, yeah. The the point is that you know the Lib Dems were the third uh, biggest party by quite a margin in 2010, and yet formed part of the coalition government. And um, you know, had they been, you know, and it, it's plausible if we're going to have another election. It, it's very plausible that they that the Brexit Party, you know, would be enormously powerful, and, and they are a single issue thing under PR. Now, as it is, their power is very indirect mm. in in first past the post because they're unlikely to get any seats, despite their very uh, wide appeal. And and in fact, you know, the the what power they have is probably going to be involved involve withdrawing from seats and channeling people towards the Tories. Um, so, so yeah, I think I suspect that my, my feeling is that, for, based on what Chris is saying, that for PR uh, actually enables 
pressure groups to become political parties much more easily yeah, here's, than here's, under first Here's past quite the an post. interesting thing, because one of the things I was looking at is a lot of... Um, a lot of causes, niche causes, are about opposition to something. So take Brexit. Mm. It's very much formed about, you know, what do you stand for? Well, nobody has yet been able to properly define Brexit, but they sure as hell knew what they stood against, right? And that that was the sort of very unifying force behind that, behind that movement. And... Um, I was looking at a study, uh, um, a big sort of meta-analysis of negative campaigning in, in in politics and the effectiveness of it. And overall, it found um, that it was very difficult to determine, you know, depending on how you what you looked at, whether you looked at the, the um, party political material or whether you looked at press coverage would give you different findings. It's very difficult to find an effect of a positive or negative effect of, of uh, negative um, political campaigning. Um, but what they did find was that uh, in coalition political systems, negative campaigning was actually greater because it was a way of, um, you've got a bunch of people who might be forming something. They might have to join together at some point, but during the electoral process, they need to say, well, we're not those guys and we're not those guys. We we hate those guys because of whatever and we hate those guys because of, of something else. And um, so, so, yeah, actually, while, uh, um, you know, niche causes might... Uh, but that, that that sort of supports this idea, I suppose, that niche causes will, will benefit from a, a more coalition environment uh and that um you know them making themselves as as distinct and niche as possible is actually potentially a competitive advantage mm-hmm. yeah i think um thomas Sowell, who's an american uh conservative economist said something a bit uh which re- this reminds me of it about um the problem you know the kind of problem with the conservative narrative which is that it's it's just not very exciting because conservatism is about recognizing that everything involves trade-offs and that um you know and that actually uh, a lot of those trade-offs involve lots of hidden costs uh, that are quite difficult to explain to people whereas the kind of left-wing um, narrative is always about fixing a problem here's a very visible problem and we're going to go in there and fix it usually with some kind of exciting social policy usually by spending money on something but you know <clears throat> whereas the conservative response to those kinds of things would be to say well you know actually okay you're it looks like we're doing some ge- very generous thing by getting this go- getting the government to spend 100 million pounds on something to do with the homeless but you're neglecting the fact that that's 100 million people who are a pound worse off mm. and and that's not that adds up you know that's there is a trade-off there and um but but it's it's much harder sell yeah exactly so so one of my favorite economists of all time um frederick bastiat who was a 19th century french economist uh wrote um really like a, a very influential essay called that which is seen and that which is not seen and it's about exactly about this, you know, issue of um, the the example he gives. A very famous example is if you you know someone if someone breaks a window, what you see is uh, you know the the argument is well that's good that's good for the window maker the glazier will have more work now and you know he buys the material from other people and they're going to have more work and he says well but the thing is that nobody sees the window that would have been made somewhere else so we're now down a window yeah because we don't see window yeah exactly yeah and that's true and i think that you know there is no doubt that we have been experiencing policy creep for 100 years you know if you look 1910 
uh, about 10% of GDP was spent by the government. Now it's 40% or so. You know, we're getting on for one pound in every two is spent by the government mm. because you. it always looks like a good idea to put to send money to a problem to fix it. Um, and, and we just no, do not, we cannot intuitively take account of, well, all of that money comes from somewhere, you know. Um, um, we, we need to, to wrap up. I've got a question I want to ask. Um, before we do, I think we, sort of, we delved into that quite nicely. Is there anything you want to sort of sum up on? Well, I was just, just going to say, you know, if, if you've got a niche cause, you know, obviously what you're trying to do from the po- point of view of the, the holders of that niche cause, if they really want to execute it and they don't just want to be an, an in-group that, that um, you know, continues to be uh, uh, fashionable in some way, um, then you want to mobilise everybody else. And I suppose, you know, you know what are the... What are the what are the ways that you're doing that and what are the sort of um examples you can you can look at and i i suppose you know group dynamics are are really critical it's like you know nick was saying the more exciting thing often wins wins the day and if you can um make your cause as exciting and visible to as many people as possible you Mm. know perhaps that's 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 the way of doing it but um you know kind of just this this idea of creating an in-group and expanding that that in-group you know if you can if you can solve that issue then you know you can obviously achieve achieve your aims yeah 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 nice um okay i've got um three questions for you you can um choose one or all of them okay so here's my questions for you one have you ever been have you ever taken part in a demonstration um or riot, I guess. Um, two, have you ever pursued or been part of a niche cause? Um, and third question is, what 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 would you like to change? Do you have a niche uh, thing that you'd like to change? Would you, is there something you'd like to abolish or, or something that you'd like to be enacted? Um, so you could answer none of them. Uh, sorry, you could answer one of them or or all of them. Up to you. Yeah. Well, when I was about uh, 12, 11 or twelve. Yeah, eleven or twelve. Uh, I had a friend from a very alternative background, uh, and uh, his mom was a massive CND mm. person. And so, yes, I attended a um, a CND march mm-hmm. one Saturday afternoon through the through the streets. Uh, and um, I then had to cough to this. Uh, during my, when you worked for the MOD and you, ah. you, you sort of how say, old you were know, you at the time like 10 years old or something yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. um and uh so so yes they say you know do, do are you committed to because obviously the nuclear deterrent is a key part of MOD policy and they don't want you know random subversive anarchists in there trying to disrupt it yeah uh so I had to say yes when I was when I was <laughs> when I was a young so child, rabble rousing past yeah. CND uh, okay. um, and got bored and went and had a pasty halfway through. Um, so that's my that's my demonstration. Uh, niche causes, n- I, no, I reckon I'm susceptible to them though. Potentially, I mean, I don't really believe in anything. I've mm. got to say, I don't like. I don't have any <laughs> any beliefs, ethical or moral beliefs. But okay. if somebody's, you know, if it, if it involves like marching and and like a hearkening back to historic romanticism, I'm sort of I'm sort of in anything that looks like probably Lord best of the Rings. to keep you away yeah, from precisely. Yeah, this, definitely not anything involving. <laughs> German mythology yeah. we're not no you're not <laughs> yeah. allowed no exactly 
Um, so, so I'm aware that I've got a vulnerability there, uh, which I, I kind of. Uh, account would you go for. on a big march for nihilism and apathy? <laughs> yeah. Would you? <laughs> yeah. No, I would sit on my sofa yeah. and protest about it. Um, and then a cause that I that about the only thing I feel very, very strongly about is uh, dogs shitting on the pavement. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. I would. I would properly burn down parliament for, for to get that um to to, to get it's a, it's that. I a want simple change. I want people and their dogs impounded, maybe capital punishment brought back. Yeah. It is just unspeakably wrong. But do you remember wow. when we were kids, I mean there's dog shit everywhere. Like there's dog you shit everywhere. You yeah. could, every time you went outside the house you'd yeah, in some you'd, you'd well, No, I agree. But I might Good job my you don't sol- live in France. Yeah. Yeah. My solution is uh is more is in any way if anything a bit more sort of bestial in that I would uh I would simply get them Smear it in their faces. Put, the, put all the dog poo in their house. Yeah. The dog poo that they're putting in our streets. Yeah. We just yeah. put it into their house. Yeah. And then it would be felt and seen because it's the dog the dog poo that's out there that nobody sees is the one that's the problem. Exactly. Yeah. It's you're, the turning, smeared, smeared you're turning, face, you're turning yeah. society's yeah. problem into an individual's problem. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, I want to come to me, then I want to come to you, Nick. So, okay. uh, past demonstration, yeah, when I was at university, Bill Clinton was visiting uh, the university and there were about five different demonstrations going on at the once. And it was just after my final exams. And so, me and my mate went down there um and we were at the front of this demonstrating crowd and he was, was a Rhodes scholar wasn't he so he was yeah that's right yeah and he was coming, coming back to see his alma mater exactly that and there were and there were about four or five different causes that they were demonstrating um for or against but we were found ourselves at the front of this um we were sort of just sightseeing effectively we were at the front of the crowd and it was really exciting my friend bumped into a, a pet friend of his from school who happened to be the chief rabble rouser at one point the police grabbed this guy and chucked him in the back of it was it was massively exciting and i really enjoyed it so that was my one 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 and did you successfully bring down bill clinton we did yes yes <laughs> okay. um he was nearly impeached yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> just a year later yeah. yeah so that was the demonstration niche cause i was part of i don't know part of but i was sort of uh plugged into the summer summer born campaign which is children who are born in the summer um a disadvantage in certain ways academically and 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 in sporting life as well because of the annual cutoff just read Mal- i think it's malcolm gladwell wrote about yeah, it yeah no, it's um, established. and yeah. which for my sons particularly made sense because they were born three months prematurely so they should have been born in november but were born in august and so it affected them quite a lot because yeah. straddles that cutoff period thing that i would campaign against niche thing i don't i don't think it's niche but something i would campaign against is i think there's too much bloody maths in schools oh there's um, nowhere near enough maths no no you're right yeah yeah it's, it's no, all right I... for some weird geeky type person like yourself but so my daughter like your son has just started a secondary school and i'm appalled at the amount of maths they do so they do seven hours of maths a week compared to an average seven hours a day <laughs> seven hours of maths against half an hour of music for example oh well in 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 tom's school they do a lot of music right so we do almost no math sorry almost no music almost no re for example uh almost no uh drama almost no art and it's just depressing and if i was following that curriculum when i was that age i would bloody top myself um so um so yeah that's what i would that's that's Mm. what i feel quite head up about nick well i got i grew up my my parents were kind of north london lefties more or less so i went on quite a few demos um obviously one of the things that parents like to do is is indoctrinate their kids and uh you know bring them along as extra ammo 
because a kid holding a placard looks, you know, somehow yeah. looks more innocent. Don't like, they, my like they've arrived at it at their own, you know, <laughs> yeah. their yeah. own free will with their naive, innocent eyes, yeah. where in fact the exact opposite is the case. So I went on demos about closing the mines. It was all doomed causes from the 80s, things to do with miners and that kind of thing. Um, I did join the anti-Nazi league, actually. But then, then, I, then I became started getting a bit disillusioned with, with left-wing politics uh, at that point. Um, I thought and, you were going to uh, say, so I guess disillusioned thought, well, actually, the Nazis had some good <laughs> ideas. <laughs> let's not, you know, let's not check out the baby with the bathwater. <laughs> uh, but one thing I did successfully get involved with was saving the Parkland Walk, which is a, an abandoned railway line in Finsbury Park. And it's really nice little walk. You you know it kind of goes up to Highgate, and it, it, you, when you're on it, it, you you really can't t- really tell for a lot of the stretch that you're in uh, the middle of a town. And um and they the the uh, Conservatives government of the 1980s were going to build a big uh, road along it. We're going to turn it into a a road. I guess it's perfect for a road, mm. and it would have been horrible. I mean, it just would have been another yet another road. Um, so it was real nimbyism. Um, but we succeeded, so we managed to get well, the, Yeah, exactly. And then in terms of what I could change, well, this is my big plan to do away with um, the whole nonsense about GMT and British summertime oh. and move the whole working day by eight hours in winter. So that what you effectively by do eight is, hours by eight hours. Okay, yeah, you shift what we the plan is the basically you shift all the darkness into the working day, and then in the evening you that's where the light is. So at the moment you you you've got the light broadly between sort of let's say eight got and you. kind of four. Yeah, and in fact what we want to do is turn that round so that it starts at four, the light starts at four and ends up you know in uh, uh, later in the evening, so that we basically reclaim the winter evenings for our for our own purposes. There you go. I mean, I well, you said niche. That is quite niche. Yeah. So that's what that's. My, I haven't really got my act together about you know. Doesn't that mean shift it gradually though? No, nope. you can't. Have no, a, no, it's a one. No, it's a day. Turnover. Yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah, you'll be jet lagged for a three day. weeks. No, that's all right because you're going the right way. I mean, admittedly, it has to go back at some point. <laughs> I have the, it's details. We can work out the details. I, yeah. Well, I I look forward to. Yeah, you should write a letter to your MP. I look forward to seeing the response. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Okay, brilliant. Um, we'll finish off there. I really enjoyed that. Um, thank you very much um, to listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrewer. I've been here with Nick Hare and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.